one knows how to play poker. 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 But do you know how to play poker well? Well, get ready to talk poker strategy with the people who run the games. Hear interviews with the stars. Get information on when to play, where to play, and how to play better poker. Poker. This is Poker Action Live, a weekly poker show with your hosts, Big Dave Lemon and Joe Rodriguez. And how's everybody doing tonight? Big Dave Lemon, Joe Rodriguez from South Florida as we bring you another edition of Poker Action Line. And uh, and our boy Gio. Gio. Uh, on, on, on the controls. On the controls. <laughs> <laughs> make sure we get him in. There you go. Making sure we get to do this thing properly. Anyway, we got a few things going on tonight. Uh, the interview I did with Matt Savage down here at the Seminole Hard Rock. We'll hear that tonight. Probably in the middle section of the show. Um, had a few things to think about, uh, but uh, right before I got ready to leave, I saw this article, and it's uh, about the Seminoles in South Florida here, the F- Florida Seminole Indians who own the Seminole Hard Rock and Coconut Creek and Tampa and uh, Brighton and uh, a couple others, I think seven altogether, uh, but have really a stranglehold on uh not only poker, but really gaming in, uh, in the state, state of, of Florida, Florida yeah. yeah, because of their um, compact that they signed back in 2010 with uh, Charlie Crist, and then of course Rick Scott came in, and they couldn't really come to an agreement. But in 2015, he kind of just uh, extended it, so they're the only ones that have rights to uh, the table games like uh, uh, blackjack and and real blackjack. Uh, yes, the other. Uh, Paramutuals have a electronic game, which is basically a slot machine, based up and set uh, up like a slot machine. And you do have the uh, video dealers and uh, the the cards being dealt out, but it's not uh, with real decks and real blackjack like they have at the Indians. But if I can interject right here, I was having a conversation with our with your former boss and my okay. current boss, discussing the the blackjack and the percentages. Believe it or not, he's he was from what he was telling me is that the percentages on the electronic one are set most of them at a better percentage for the player than what the real uh blackjack is you know, based on that most people who are playing on the machine are playing the correct way. Yeah, that's the that's and, the big if. And and well no, <laughs> no, it's because most people who don't know how to play blackjack are playing the live games. They're not sitting at these tables. These right. people who come to play this, and he was telling me the percentages on that, which is a little over 1.5% house advantage because of that. And I know that blackjack, if it's played, you know, if it's played correctly in every seat when you're in a casino, casino has close to a 5% edge. Well, all I can say is that's coming from someone who would be happy to promote the electronic games since they can't no, have They don't games. get enough business there. He goes, it's amazing because not enough people know about this. And he has no reason to lie to me. No, he has I no know. reason to lie to me. I didn't tell him I'd be, this is a conversation we had over a month ago. But now that you were talking about blackjack, I, I figured I'd interject that right now. Anyway, they have the uh, blackjack. They don't have craps. They don't have... Uh, That's what they're trying to negotiate yeah, now. they're trying to work now. Let. Anyway, the story came out today, and there, there's an on, been an ongoing negotiations, which the public really doesn't have a whole uh, grasp on. But there was, of course, this Amendment 3 vote that came on, which basically protected their monopoly, because any expansion of gambling now needs to go through the voter. Uh, so not only do they have to uh, uh, get... 
thousands of, of uh, signatures to get it on the ballot. They have to have 60% of the vote to actually uh, get it passed. So not impossible, but with a fractured uh, electorate down here that we have on both sides of the issue, uh, very difficult to get something additionally passed. And, of course, they were in cahoots with the Disney people who are trying to keep gambling out of Florida as much as possible as well. Yeah, those are strange bedfellows there, as they say, because they're they're on the complete opposite end. But because of this amendment, they they they, they were, what is that, uh, the enemy of your enemy <laughs> is your friend or something? Yeah. So this is what they had in that election. Now, all this is nothing new, and you're probably wondering why I even brought it up, except this article uh, basically is a suggestion for the first time that the Indians are interested in expanding their gaming into online game, gaming. Uh, something that I was not aware of. I've talked a lot with the people over there, and they've kept it pretty much a secret. Uh, because they need to protect their live rights. You know, uh, and right. A lot of brick-and-mortar casinos want nothing to do with online gaming. If they can have their piece of the pie, they'd be happy to get into it. But uh, if it's going to cost them legally any of the stuff that they already have, it can be a big problem. Anyway, uh, they continue to negotiate this. And this article by Earl Burton of uh, Poker News Daily says that uh, they are now uh, looking to the future, and that future is online gaming. So uh, uh, there's negotiations going on currently with the new governor, Ron DeSantis, and uh, the Seminoles in the state of Florida. Uh, and they are discussing uh, how to have exclusive rights for the Seminoles to online gaming and other table games. They do want the whole thing. Uh, there would be a big price, obviously, because we do have the horse tracks, the dog tracks, the high-life frontons around the state that have kind of infringed a little bit on the uh, the deal with the uh, Indians by offering these house-banked games, which... Um, the DPs, place, yeah. They're pretty, pretty it's, big, huh? It's been, it's, it's, it has been a little bit of a bonanza for us over there. It really has. A lot more money than I thought it was going to bring in. Yeah, well... And for some places, it's, it's, a, it's a big bonanza, actually, to be honest with you. It's been a bonanza, and it's also been a huge bone of contention for the Seminoles that uh, they've been able to offer it. So it's kind of gone back and forth legally whether they can do it. But they did it for a while. They stopped doing it for a while. Now they're doing it, uh, and they seem to be getting away with it uh, rather easily. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and I don't know if the state really even wants to pursue that against them, being that they're getting a percentage from the card rooms, and it's, uh, you know, they're generating income there. But from a seminal standpoint, I you know, like I said, this is the first time I'm hearing something about the Internet uh Gaming or, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I was told that the, our session now, our legislators in session now, were thinking about the sports betting like they have now in right. Mississippi and Louisiana, you know, neighboring states, you know, now that it's been allowed, you know, knowing the state of Florida as, I, as, as, I've, as, as I've dealt with them for so many years. You know, I, I would imagine we're not going to be anywhere near there anytime soon, although yeah. we we're should all, be. We're always the last ones. But this is a pretty intelligent move from the Seminoles because... If they could get that, they could actually negotiate to give up blackjack if they get exclusive rights to the internet. That, yeah. that, 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 that you know, that's a new frontier for them, honestly. And and if you get exclusivity to that, and in other places to agree to that, and maybe give up blackjack, I I think it'd be a, a financial bonanza for them. So well, according to Burton, his opinion is that. Uh, 
the horse tracks and harness racing tracks, the dog tracks, uh, well, the dog tracks are going to be gone after 2020. But they're going to go to High Lie. <laughs> That's all yeah. they're going to do. And uh, High Lie is, of course, uh, kind of proliferating here on a smaller scale with some of these glass courts and smaller courts uh, called or set to open later it's a this joke. month. You know, you and I both know that. It's not real High Lie. It's not a real High Lie. It's. Uh, it might be better. Than I think nothing. you guys are the last real highlight place, no? In Dania, Dania. Dania, yeah, I would say. Anyway, uh, there's a good chance that these paramutuals will be allowed to offer sports betting down the road. So, uh, according to him, he said if the new Seminole Compact is signed, and that poker rooms would. Uh, are you allowed to go 24/7 all the time? Are you limited? No, right now, week? right now, you are allowed to weekends. The poker rooms can be open 18 hours. And on weekends, you're allowed 24 hours. And if there's a holiday, so let's say there's a holiday on a Monday, when you open up, the, the like in our place, the hours are still the same as they were before. We open up the casino on Friday morning at 10 in the morning. And you don't have to close on the weekend until 4 in the morning, Monday morning. Right. If there happens to be a holiday, then you don't have to close. You can be open from 10 in the morning Friday all the way through till 4 in the morning on Tuesday. Right. So that's what you get, and then the other days you're allowed 18 hours for for your room to be open. Well, the the question, uh, according to Burton here, is that uh, uh, would the new compact have to be approved by the voters? Would that fall under the Amendment 3? Right now there's the discussions between uh, DeSantis and the the tribe, uh, but would that have to be approved down the road? I I guess that would be I would imagine being that certain things have already been allowed in here. I think this... You know they're going to fight. You know Disney will probably try to take this to court. Uh, My guess is they would probably try to hang their hat on, listen, these places have already been running gaming establishments, you know, so kind of like grandfathering them in to the state, allowing them to do these things. So I would imagine this would have to get up into into uh, into the court system for someone to finally make a decision on this. I, I I know that they're a family operation and they're very much against gambling, but wouldn't it be kind of cool to have like the uh, the Chip and Dale poker room? Uh, yeah. You know, the absolutely. <laughs> so, no, the Snow only, white black. The jack. only <laughs> paramutual place that doesn't have poker, from my understanding, is the people up in Orlando area, because yeah. obviously the politicians there are not going to yeah. allow that with with all the money they get from Disney. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll see what happens with uh, the legislature this year. As you mentioned, there's several things being discussed here. Uh, decoupling of uh, the paramutuals is on the table as well. So we'll see what happens when this uh, winds down. I guess it's got to be pretty close to ending uh, this session uh, up in Tallahassee. But we'll see what happens here. Starts in March. Uh, yeah, usually it goes into like the early part of May, and that's it. But there probably would have to be some sort of compact approval by the legislature, is my guess. Uh, you know, Wouldn't it be kind of also ironic if... Uh, the the uh, the Seminole Tribe was able to negotiate some online gambling, and then all of a sudden, Disney, which was basically their uh, running mate partner in this Amendment Three uh, fight, would now be on the opposite side from them. Well, they've been think. on the opposite side of any expansion always. They just seem to, you know, the mutual interest because of the, you know how strange it was. Disney has been consistent in their thing. And so as the Seminoles, they don't want anybody else expanding but them, which makes a lot of sense. This bill just brought, you know, strange bedfellows, as yeah, they say, exactly. together for this one issue. And that's that's the only issue I could ever see them being agreeing on. This article, if you want to see it, it's on Poker News called uh, Florida Seminole Indians Introduce New Wrinkle to Gaming Negotiations. 
It is on PokerNewsDaily.com, so well, check that out if you want to read that. I heard it. I mean, granted, it, I don't want to say it wasn't a reliable or unreliable source, but uh, someone that I didn't expect to hear this from, but someone says that, you you know, you weren't you, the last week we were talking about that Caesars is up for sale, yeah. $5 billion in assets, eight, $18 billion in, in debt, you know, and... Someone today, out of the blue, when I just started discussing this, says, well, listen, my, my sources are telling me that the Hard Rock is, is negotiating to buy them out. Is uh, talking about buying out Caesars? Yeah, well, yeah, I wow. guess, the, you know, well, that's how much money they have, yeah. you know. Can you imagine that? That would lead me to believe that if something like that was to happen, they'd obviously keep the World Series main event over there in Vegas, but... It wouldn't be far-fetched to think we'd have one here, you know, in January <laughs> and have everybody come down here in January to have uh, sort of like a, a a winter WSOP main event type of thing. Uh, you know, actually, you could use both properties between Tampa and, and down here in Hollywood. Uh, the potential is just super great for them to make this just an incredible yeah. event if, if that was to be the case. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, well, let's move on. Uh, the uh, WSOP circuit uh, kind of uh, winding down their season as uh, the Harris-Cherokee, which was uh, the one we talked about last week, uh, one of the rings won by uh, Maurice oh, Hawkins. Maurice that tied him for the That was time. one of the earlier events. The main event uh, concluded and was won by Jonas Wexler of uh, Southampton, Pennsylvania, winning uh, over 300 k uh, Phil Hearns, a local guy here from Plantation, finished second, 185000 for second place. Spencer Champlin from Scarborough, Maine, was third. But uh, that was an interesting tournament up at Harris-Cherokee uh, on the circuit. So the circuit moves on. I also want to m- mention that a uh, good friend of the program, Jackie Scott, former ladies champ at the World Series of Poker out in uh, Las Vegas, uh, 2015, to be exact. Uh, she's uh, she's an older lady that uh, is a real estate. Uh, uh, she got started late in life person. doing this yeah, too. Yes, she did. Uh, but she's uh, found places for uh, different poker players like uh, uh, Chance Corneth and uh, Jason Mercier and a few other people, and done a lot of real estate down here uh, in the poker community. Uh, but she's a good friend of ours, and she plays mostly here most of the time. She's very busy with her her business. And that's the most important thing to her. But she uh, decided to take a trip over to Europe. And uh, an older gentleman that she was friends with um, invited her to go over and play in Scotland, which was a kind of interesting situation. So she went over to Scotland for a few days. And because she was over in Europe, she decided that she would stop in Monaco for the big uh, European Poker Tour event. And uh, Heading into today, she was uh, fifth place in chips out of the final 16. And the, uh, uh, let's see, the tournament was the 1,100 1, Euros uh, French National Championship. And she was down to fifth place out of the final 16. So went into day two today, and she unfortunately made the, she did make the final table, but she ended up getting knocked out in sixth place. Um Got knocked out with uh, Ace now, Nine. Do you know offsuit. if they play that in the famous Monaco Casino? I believe they do. Because I don't know if you I've seen it. I've been in it twice uh, when I've been in Monaco twice. It's small. It's not. <laughs> it's it? not a big place. It's not a big place. Just like the aviation, I passed in front yeah, of the, the aviation, aviation club, club in, in uh, Paris, Paris yeah. 
And it was like, you know, like a storefront opening, you know. And the only thing that made me realize it is that they had a humongous bodyguard <laughs> standing in front of there, so. Well, anyway, she's made the most out of her trip. Uh, she did make uh, 42, almost 43,000 uh, euros for Good sixth for place her. in the Good tournament. for her. And uh, a little more, uh, you know, uh, kind of rounding out a great career that since she started later in life to pick up poker. And uh, she ended up uh, having, having ace-nine offsuit and uh, ended up shoving. And her opponent had ace-queen offsuit. Yeah, so she was probably short-stacked and had to make a move. No, she actually had quite a bit. She had 2.5 million in chips. So she had a pretty decent stack still. But so like the, like the old saying, I picked the wrong time to get court speeding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So uh, congratulations to Jackie, and uh, at some point along the line, we'll probably talk to her about that and uh, get her thoughts. Uh, also, uh, the b- big news on the kind of the funny side, the comedy side of poker, uh, they finally had the boxing match between the magician Antonio Esfandiari and comedian Kevin Hart. Uh, it was in a small place in private with just a few invited guests, but the word has uh, slipped out now. In fact, uh, you know, n- no one was hiding it, uh, but... Uh, the magician was the winner. He called himself a 35 to 1 underdog, uh, saying that Kevin was in much better shape and he's an athlete. And although he's smaller, uh, he at least has some experience in boxing. Uh, Kevin Hart's what, like 5'2? 5'3, maybe, if that? Yeah, that's probably being generous. Okay. Anyway, Antonio uh, lost the first round, won the second, ended up, uh, went to a decision, and he won the fight, uh, which is pretty shocking to most people. Uh, there were a few people there, like uh, Phil Locke. And, Wait a minute, thirty-five. Uh, he was a thirty-five to one underdog, according to and him. And this fight I was fought in Vegas. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm smelling. I'm smelling a fix here. I don't know, but uh, uh, Kevin Hart uh, <laughs> also uh, uh, congratulated Esfandiari on his Instagram, which has seventy-three million followers. So it wasn't like he tried to hold it up or anything. But they had some sort of prop bet. I don't know if it's thirty-five to one on the prop bet. But uh, he ended up winning the fight, so that's kind of surprising to me. I thought I don't know what they him. did there, but Kevin Hart had himself a hell of a year financially last year. Anyway, that was over the weekend, so I guess we'll hear more in the in the coming days. So, uh, uh, kind of a funny thing, not really poker. Well, related, he loves playing poker. That we found out over these last yeah, year Kevin and Hart's a, half, a good, years, po- a pretty good know? poker player. So that's you know, hey. I like that. I like the fact that he did that. And like I said, he I don't know about you, but I, Kevin Hart all of a sudden started feeling like, um, uh, what's his name, Samuel L. Jackson showing up on almost every film that you kept seeing over the last two years. <laughs> yeah. And he's made a lot of money. He's working very hard for it. So uh, congratulations to him and, and whatever he did in this. He did win one round, I guess, on the, on the scorecard. There's also a big argument on Twitter the last couple of days uh, back and forth between Randall Emmett who is like a movie producer that plays poker. He had a big entry into the World Series last year with uh, uh, dancing ladies with the feathers on the head and uh, really? uh, kind of a mini uh, band uh, with a drum player and trumpets and stuff and made this huge uh, announcement, which a lot of people found fault with, thought that was disruptive to the tournament, but he was kind of uh, copying Phil Hellmuth and some of his interests. Uh, but anyway, there was a big Twitter war on there uh, between him and the rapper 50 Cent, who uh, said that he owed him over a million dollars and uh, only recently paid him about a fourth of that. So uh, Randall Emmett. Who owed who? 
uh, Emmett owed uh, 50 cents. A million dollars. Yeah, so 50 cents uh, had that, uh, I don't know, kind of brought a big uproar onto Twitter, so that's been on there for the last couple of days. A lot of well, people don't really like know, it's, Emmett. It's kind of hard to have somebody who owes you that kind of money all of a sudden playing in big big buy-in tournaments, you know, and, and probably not giving you a phone call to let you know. Yeah, yeah. We did have a, a local pro, for the most <laughs> part, go through something similar to that from owing a lot of people money and, and Chino Reeves, remember? Yeah. When people followed him right to the window when he won a tournament a yeah, few years absolutely, ago. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so anyway, that's some of the uh, the off-the-felt uh, news about poker. But uh, I did want to talk about an article I just saw by Linda Johnson, who's one of our favorites and uh, has been on the show many times. Uh, started the uh, TDA along with uh, Matt Savage and some other people. Uh, we're going to hear from Matt Savage as well. I think I mentioned that earlier. But that will be in the second part of the program, the interview we did with him. So when we come back, uh, we'll talk with uh, Matt, and then uh, we'll hear we'll discuss this uh, floor ruling from Linda Johnson, and we'll get Joe's thoughts on that as well. You're listening to Poker Action Line, and uh, we'll be back after these messages on the show. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll stick around. This is Poker Action Live. This is Big Dave for PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Want to know what's really cool? Your charitable tax-deductible donation every time you play. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com, the feel-good gateway to fun and prizes. Play free. Learn our system. Get 50,000 free chips and play for prizes. Play for scholarships that benefit Caribbean students. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Take it from Big Dave. A win for you is a donation to Caribbean education. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. The difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. Studies prove that reading to a child regularly dramatically improves reading skills. And kids who read well by third grade are four times as likely to graduate. So United Way is calling for one million volunteers over the next three years. We're asking you to step up, make a pledge, tutor a child who needs help, mentor a kid who needs someone on their side, volunteer to read to children, make a difference. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Entire communities improve. Success or failure starts long before graduation day. And the difference between a graduate and a dropout could be you. Be a reader, tutor or mentor. Give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge. Go to liveunited.org now. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. WFO Radio, NHRA Nitro, is all about the NHRA Drag Racing Series. Featuring the NHRA's Alan Reinhardt. Race winners stop by to talk about bringing home the Wally every Tuesday night following NHRA national events. NHRA Nitro is available on demand anytime on the WFO radio application and at WFORadio.com. Welcome back to the program here from South Florida, Big Dave and Joe. Poker Action Line. Uh, just finished up the Seminole Hard Rock uh, Showdown, which is in its ninth year. Uh, I remember was kind of raving about that. Uh, kind of shocked, actually. Uh, but I did get, as usual, the chance to sit down with Matt Savage for a few minutes and uh, talk about uh, the state of the poker world and uh, what's going on. He, of course, is involved in the uh, Tournament uh, Directors Association and 
said they were going to set to have a big meeting with over 170 people he talks about on this interview wow. and uh, a lot of uh, nice turnout as people discuss the different parts of the game of course the the world constantly changing with social media and things that affect the poker table so uh, I think you would find that interesting some of the rulings and, and the things they talk about out there uh, but Matt uh, spent a little bit of time with us here at the Seminole Hard Rock uh, so let's play that for you. Uh, this was my discussion uh, just about 10 days ago with Matt Savage. It's my semi-annual talk with Matt Savage here at the Seminole Hard Rock uh, Showdown. Not the Poker Open, but the Showdown this year. But we, we'll probably talk then again, too. Sure. Um, always fun for you to come down to South Florida and uh, see your friend Tony and uh, have a great time here with a well-run tournament that you guys always do such a great job with. Yeah, it's just an amazing venue. I mean, there's just not many venues in the world that give the support to poker like Seminole Hard Rock does. So it's it's tough to tough to beat. I mean, this arena, amazing, the restaurants, the property, and when it finally gets done, I, I, I'm excited to see it. Yeah. The Global Poker Awards, a uh, combination of the European and the American this year, just finished up, and you, of course, were nominated again. Uh, didn't get the win this time, but, uh, you know, it's just... It's fun to be recognized for the hard work that you put in the entire year. Thanks. I appreciate that. But, you know, of course, losing to uh, Angelica Hale, who is my boss, uh, it's, I'm perfectly happy with that. She was over the moon. I, you know, I've had some success in those awards already. So, you know, to see her win and the passion that she has for the poker, for the players, for WPT, uh, she deserved it. So I was happy to see her win. It would have been the only one I would like to lose to, uh, to say that. I probably shouldn't tell you this, but Tony was just happy you were in another category, so he had a chance finally. <laughs> it's Tony's fault. He set that up. He, <laughs> he made sure that I wasn't in the TD category, which I was upset about because I am a TD. I love, well, he's I still, love running tournaments. He's, so that's still, what I he's still paying his dues, isn't he? Yes, he is. He's still paying his dues. Uh, but he's doing a great job. So Tell me about that this year. Was the response? I know that there was kind of late planning. Um, Eric uh, picked up the ball because... Uh, Chief man moved on yeah, to kind of like Alex Dreyfus. Alex yeah. Dreyfus, okay. He's in eSports Obviously and didn't do my crypto and things like research that. Research on this yes. one. No. But he's moved on to a few other things, so I guess there was some worry maybe in the industry that there might not be something this year. Right. Tony told me he had confidence that Eric was going to get something put together. And maybe it was a little bit late, but still, it seemed like a great watching it on Poker Go and everything. Yeah, they did great. a really good job making sure that uh, it got put together, put together well. They, they really had a... Um, an amazing night. I mean, it's kind of a great night for people to get together, networking, to see all the, the big names and the big industry people come in at one time. So uh, I love that. We always have a great time with that one. And, uh, you know, if you win or lose, it's still a great night for poker. Uh, a lot of things happening in the industry. Uh, I know maybe not directly affecting you, but the WSOP, you know, may not be at the Rio after this year. Who knows who, if Caesars gets sold or, or if they decide to move to another property. Uh, the big change there here, hopefully they'll have the Big Guitar Hotel open next year, and that will make things explode here as well. So uh, as you look back, it's kind of like, you know, you've got to be putting your feet up on the desk and you know, crossing your arms and saying, this is pretty satisfying. Well, it's amazing. You know, I came here for the first time 10 years ago. Uh, we're coming up on our 10th anniversary next year. This is our 9th. Uh, for the World Poker Tour here. So to see how this has grown and how it's grown in poker, you know, you were here years ago. They weren't very respected, and it was there was a lot of things being done here that may not have been the best. But I think if you look around now, I mean, I think the team they put together with Tony and Bill Mason and, and uh, Larry Frank and all the stuff that they've done for poker, 
it's tough to say this isn't the best property uh, you know, on the World Poker Tour, best property maybe in poker for running big events. This event center here is uh, all new, but I can't help but think, remember back to the first year when, when it was in Hard Rock Live, it was very similar when you walked in. Of course, it's got a carpet now instead of the, instead of the, the cement floor, but... Uh, uh, it has done so many things to uh, make things better here for the whole game. I really don't think people know in South Florida how good they have it. You know, a lot of these players just play locally. They don't travel a lot for poker. But I'm telling you, if you go around the country and around the world and play other events, it's not this great. Uh, they really have done so many things for the poker player uh, and for the industry. I mean, it's, it's really a testament, I think, to Bill Mason. I think he should really be nominated for Industry Person of the Year. I've said it for years, and I really hope... Next year is his year to be nominated and be up there on the stage himself. Uh, what are you working toward on the Tournament Directors Association front? Any any new rules that you really feel like you have to look? Obviously, social media and all these things have come around in the last few years, and everything changes in, in, in life in general. So you always have to be flexible and try to, to make the best rules for people. What are your thoughts about what you guys will rule on next? Well... The, really the thing is that, you know, we've always been flexible at the TBA because we really want it to be, you know, better for the players. We want players to travel around the country, travel around the world to have the same rules wherever they go. So we really respect the input that we get from not only the industry people, the tournament directors, but also the players. So, uh, you know, one of the big things that's going to come up this year that wasn't around a couple of years ago was Big Line Ante. So I'm sure that's going to get some discussion, uh, hopefully not too much discussion because, you know, there's a certain way that I want to have it done and, you know, what I've tried to do is popularize it and get everybody on board with using it. And now it's come, come around in a very quick time where everybody's using it for pretty much every no-limit event. But uh, to have standard procedures for that I think is important and uh, we'll discuss that at some length, I'm sure. Uh, I'm going to work on a couple other things. Uh, I'm already putting together the opening list. Another one that I'm going to put out there that you're getting an exclusive on, uh, as I just talked to Jack Alfell about it a few minutes ago, was that I think all final tables now go nine-handed or seven-handed. So there will be no more ten-handed final oh, okay. tables, which I know a lot of the players uh, feel strongly about. So I think that it makes sense, and it's time. So we'll probably put that out, and I'll put that out at the beginning. Um, but there's always things that are going to come up, uh, issues that uh, you know we haven't even heard yet that will be discussed at the TVA, and uh, I'm excited about it. We've already got about 170 people uh, scheduled to be there, so it's okay. going to be our biggest TVA summit ever. Okay, World Poker Tour, the big change this year, obviously, is the final tables out at the uh, Luxor at the HyperX Arena. Uh, you've already had one of those, and I guess it was a huge success. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people turning out. Uh, what were your thoughts on how that worked out and how it will work out for the future. Well, being the executive tour director, I was nervous about it yeah. because, you know, a lot of the, the talk in the industry was people wouldn't show up for the events, people wouldn't come and play these events. All of our televised events numbers have been up this year. So it's exciting to see that people are responding and still coming out. Now, when it came to the final tables at the HyperX Esports Arena, they were, it was amazing to see so many friends and family there for everybody. Uh, and the arena was really electric you know they've done a really good job we're even making improvements for the next time so you know it is a growing process getting uh, all those things in place but it's, i'm excited to say that you know these next final tables that are going to come up in may with this one seminal hard rock uh and choctaw and our tournament champions they're gonna be great i mean if you look at this final table it's gonna be exciting it's, it is exciting uh how are the players feeling about it i mean uh, obviously going to hit them in about maybe the next hour when they're down to six and instead of
playing for the big money and tomorrow, the next day, right here, not having to go anywhere, they're going to have to wait and uh, think about it for a while. I think it provides a lot of opportunities for the players. I think they have a chance to maybe study, do some work, maybe get some coaching, but also get some sponsorship. We noticed that people got sponsorship for those final tables as well. So they go through the World Poker Tour and they're able to do that. But in addition to that, they're able to have their friends and family fly out there for a day, two days, whatever, and uh, make an event out of it for them. So that's an added bonus for them. I think for the property itself, yeah, you know, these events end, and they usually end, you know, here where the property is. But now the property has an opportunity for them to advertise and say, hey, here's our final table. And these are the people we're going to go watch for the next five weeks uh, before this final table happens. And I think it's a, a good thing for them, too, because people won't forget about someone Hard Rock in the next five weeks. They'll still be talking about it. There's a lot of final table previews, and there's a lot of poker media that does stories and things like that. And our show, uh, you know, we'll do some taping of these people, what they're doing on a normal day-to-day, so we can put that into the show. So all of that stuff's important. Uh, and I think that, you know, in the end, it's going to be a big plus for these guys. Uh, how about the tie-in with eSports? Uh, obviously, Adam Pliska feels like it's really important. There's going to be a big uh, crossover there. Uh, some critics will say, you know, guys who play poker are going to play poker. They don't have time to work on their video games and vice versa. Uh, how do you feel from what you've seen now? Is there, a, is there a crossover for the two groups? Well, there's a lot of money in eSports and there's a lot of money in poker. I see those things uh, kind of going hand in hand. It's one of those things where... Maybe it was like online poker and then live poker were two different things. But, I mean, you really, if you look at it, the people that are, are playing esports are probably the next generation poker players. And I know a lot of the people that play poker now are playing uh, esports, you know, in video games as well. So I definitely think there's crossover. Um, you know, our a parent company definitely sees a crossover and is involved in both. So I think that's an exciting way to we're going to see poker go. Okay, last question. Uh, not a huge tie-in for you personally because you're kind of a live poker guy, but online seems to be creeping in. I mean, West Virginia just passed the bill. Uh, you know, Pennsylvania this year hopefully will be online. A few others are working at it. Uh, do you see that, think that's good for the game, or do you see it cannibalizing the live product? I definitely don't see it cannibalizing the product because I know that with the World Poker Tour, we make partnerships with a lot of different people. And if we can make partnerships with them, I think the key to poker tournaments is always the satellite. And I don't think there's a better way to satellite people into these events than through online poker. You know, our club WPT, we send players to our events every time, but with an online product where there's actual money being played for, and if we can get that to work out, I think we're going to have a lot more players playing satellites to win seats under the World Poker Tour, and that's all going to be beneficial. Yeah, anything that makes the game more popular is obviously going to be great in the long run. So. Definitely. How about women in poker? One, I said that was the last question, but uh, Angela's here, and I want to talk to her about that. But uh, we see some of these things happening. That The Tony Dunst uh, uh, had the ladies earlier in this series. The Borgata did one as well. And it's starting to build a little bit. Maybe that was the, the direction we should have gone maybe years ago with it. Yeah, we really took a step forward with the World Poker Tour to make sure that we, you know, you know, we want more women playing in the game. I mean, again, 50% of the population of the world and yet it only represents 5%. Something's wrong, you know. Maybe we're not treating, uh, you know, women in the game as they should be treated uh, with a lot of respect and, and, and making the game grow even more. I, I've been saying this for years, but you know, I say that, you know, the poker room is not a locker room. You know, we got to watch what we say and do. Uh, it's a new era for yeah. the world. 
you know people we got to be a little more sensitive to what they're saying and doing and i think you know we're working on that i think it's uh, a growing process but i loved all the things that we're doing with these seminars and the ladies tournaments and the other events that we're doing surrounding to try and bring more people into the game and Kristen, right over there the player of the year uh, playing at that table She's maria awesome. maria ho makes a final table you know, when that comes on TV in a few months, uh, all those things build together. Too. Yeah, they just played heads up at the L.A. Poker Classic right. for a $25,000 event. So they're making strides on the table and off the table, that's for sure. Okay. Thanks for your time. You got it, sir. Uh, Matt Savage, and he's been involved in a lot of the big decisions, the changes in poker. He mentioned the big blind ante. And uh, that seems to be here to stay. I th- it seems like uh, something that speeds it's the game. It's funny up. that you mentioned that, but we have our second tournament coming up this coming Saturday here at uh, Casino Miami. And I was asked today, are we going to be doing the big blind uh, ante, you know, uh, and, that, you know, Jose's the one running the tournament, so I don't know. But I told everybody, I go, this seems like it's going to be here for good. It does speed the game up. Uh, do you think it affects strategy at all? I was just reading this article that said, uh, not having to pay an ante in each hand means, in theory, that the players don't have a stake in many of the hands and can play more conservatively. Do you see that? Yes, yes, because people aren't defending their blinds as, as you know, twice around. <laughs> and also, when you're the uh, when you're the big blind, you're putting up the blinds for everybody at the table, and then you get dealt a deuce seven. You know, it's not a great uh, situation either. No, it isn't. But imagine the the, the what is it? The big blind is is putting up the ante now, yeah, right? Yeah, right. So. Like I said, it's. Um, I think I think it's a great thing for the game. To be honest with you, you know, at first I wasn't sure about it, but I think it does. And I, and to, to answer your question, yeah, Dave, I think it does definitely change the strategy, especially you know in that small blind. You don't know people are forcing you. Sometimes you wake up with a big hand. Somebody's tried to make a move to steal those blinds, and all of a sudden you can come back and. Yeah, I could see definitely how that that could change strategy and and make it. A little bit more, cons- not to, I don't know what to say conservative, but you're not going to get involved in as many hands because obviously you don't have that other dead blind but money in there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, this article also talked about re-entry tournaments, and that, of course, was brought in by Matt Savage many years ago, and he has mentioned in the past that he kind of regrets uh, creating that whole situation because he doesn't believe it's good for the game. It's great for the, the house. Uh, you know, when players are buying in several times. Uh, mentions in this article that Daniel Negrano one time bought in 48 times to the same tournament. You know, and, and I love <laughs> Daniel Negrano. I've always enjoyed watching him play. He's, he's amazing. For me, he's, he's just a gem for the game, you know, <laughs> for the game of poker, in my in my opinion. Love his articles, even when he's had beefs with certain, certain people. You know, um, I've usually been on his side of those beefs. Um, but you know, it, you've mentioned this many times, Dave, that you don't like that in the well, it, because I, I think it depends it, on your financial situation. Exactly, you know. you know. And guess what? If if you're targeting a tournament for, like you said, if if you work, you know, all year long, and you say, okay, I'm going to save up because this tournament's coming into my town. Just let's just use South Florida for instance, even though you know the Hard Rock runs a bunch of different tournaments. Man, you'd hate to say, okay, I'm going to put aside whatever it is, fifteen hundred, three thousand dollars, ten to the main event, see if I can play with the big boys and and girls, and you know, all of a sudden you knock out a superstar, 
you get knocked out, and then later you find out this person's made a final table because they bought in eight. They had the financial means to buy in eight, nine, ten, fifteen. In right. this case, forty-eight. Well, just times. in particular, you knock out a player with a great call or a, a very, uh, you know, opportune shove, and then they come right back and sit right back down at your table, and you got to beat them all over again. Exactly. You know, and, and like I said, it's not even if they come back to your table, which would, you know, not often be the case for most people, unless you're towards that 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 area and it's a smaller entry tournament but to me i'd hate to say man i knocked out daniel negrano or or using one of our favorites jason mercier or you know whoever and then to find out that obviously these people have you know bigger deeper pockets than you and i have dave and they bought in and all of a sudden get to a final table or, or even worse take the tournament down and you're like going wait a minute you know that it's just not fair but as we've said many times, it's a double-edged sword. Then you can't kind of give the same guarantees. I think the casual player would give up on the guarantees to know that, hey, you know, I'm on level footing with these guys. If they get knocked out, just like if I get knocked out, they're out of the damn tournament. Well, of course, one of the big defenses is if you travel a long distance for a tournament, you get knocked out with a bad beat, a uh, cooler, or, or whatever. Uh, you know, you don't. You just don't want to turn around and go home again. You want to stay and and no, play but more. but most people who do do that traveling and do all of that stuff are there to play multiple tournaments. Big Dave, you know, maybe you make the main event one something where you got to cap it off at at two or three rebuys. Yeah, it's just again, it's not fair. I, I, I like under, the idea. Of one, I understand one rebuy per that you needed that to get to some of these big guarantees, but. You know, they've scaled that down Yeah. for the most part. That's been scaled down, the guarantee monies, because there's so many different areas of the country, competition doing right. that. So why not just say, hey, listen, this is what we're going to do on this tournament. I believe they tried to do that in California with no, you know, either the one day that you had to buy in the one day or there was no re-entries or rebuys into the tournament, you know, and just and just run it and just run it that way, you know, just... That's all you. That's all you're going to do to give the average poker player, yeah. you know, the 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 the, the average Joe a, a chance to to compete on a on a on a level playing field. Well, the one that stayed away from uh, re-buy, re-entries, rebuys is the main event at the WSOP, and I don't think we're going to see any change anytime soon. Uh, do you think overall, when people look at the world of poker, is it driving players away, especially the uh, the, the beginning players that are, uh, you know, just don't have that kind of money to rebuy over and over again. Is it driving players out of the game? I think it's not that it's driving them out of the game. It's driving them to smaller, you know, smaller venues where they feel they can compete. You know, uh, a Heartland Poker Tour. You know, uh, you know, some of these people, like, you know, I hate to make, keep mentioning PPC, but they were a perfect tournament that these people ruined that sandy and brian ruined because of what they did right but you know i don't know i i honestly dave how do you how do you, you I'm, I'm at this point now where i'm i'm a casual poker player at yeah. best right now my this point in my life and with everything that's gone on you know unlike when i was doing things before but how do you feel about that does that drive well, does that give you any incentive to want to save up to play in a big tournament like that? Or yeah. or do you say, no, nah, I'd rather play in a local tournament, and if I win a few thousand dollars and I get lucky, 
I'm happy because there's nobody there trying to buy the store. Because as a poker player, you're trying to say, damn, I wish I could remember, as I was mentioning to you off the air once, that there was someone that bought in, and, uh, and it was obviously in a big buy-in tournament, you know, that most average people couldn't get into anyway. But, you know, what's the incentive if you buy in so many times that for you to break even, you'd have to come in fourth or fifth in the tournament? Well, so for some people, money just is not a, is not not the, uh, and the a other, deciding factor right, at all. Right, and then the other point of that is, if you've got a backer, the heck do you care? If you don't win, you, you know yeah. the arrangement yeah. is you got to pay them back if you win money. Yeah. So there's so many different things, right. pros well, and cons for it. That I think at this moment it's mostly more of a con. I think the idea of this. You know, re-entry and rebuys was great when you wanted to offer huge prize pools. Now they've scaled that down. I don't think that is the drawing factor anymore. Yeah. The only people that that draws are the people that can afford to buy in six, yeah. seven, eight times. Well, the prize pool guarantees obviously never affected me. Uh, if I had to choose between a uh, freeze-out and a unlimited re-entry tournament, I would choose to freeze out, you know, obviously for my situation. Of course, but me I, too. But I don't really have a problem with limiting it to one re-entry per set, per opening session. That's a good guess way. Guess what? That's not, that's not a bad thing at all. That's not a bad thing because... And there are a lot of it's tournaments not, out there it's that It's not a ridiculous thing. number where people can come in six, seven, eight times. And if they do want to, if they do have two or three opening days, well, you've got to make the effort to come back and buy into this tournament. But it's not like, hey, I could just come right back and come right back. And then all of a sudden, you're playing like some of these online players that are playing in a, in a $10 tournament that are constantly just going all in because they, they've already earmarked $150, $200 for this tournament. And... And they know that if that if they could survive, and they're just they're just gambling that they'll get six or seven people because everyone sees they're doing nuts, and then all of a sudden you hit one of those hands, and you get seven eight times your chip stack, and now all of a sudden your play changes, but now you've got so many more chips. Again, those tournaments are small, and yeah. and you know that 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 that's a very real possibility going to happen. But in some of these tournaments. Fifteen hundred dollars. They say, "Oh, that's a nice little. You know, it's not a big tournament, but for some people, fifteen hundred dollars. You know, constitutes a lot of money. They want to save that up to play with 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 this competition with a chance of maybe picking up over a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars right. first prize. And then you have somebody who doesn't care about spending fifteen thousand and doing ten rebuys into this tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's take another break here on the show. When we come back, we'll take a look at this. Uh, uh, floor decision, uh, written about by Linda Johnson. Kind of want to get Joe's thoughts on it and uh, how you handle some of these things. She actually kind of looked at both sides of the issue. It one way, thought one way, and then after looking at it, maybe changed her mind. So uh, we'll take a look at that when we come back and uh, get the expert, uh, the floor man, to uh, discuss it as well, Joe Rodriguez. <laughs> so we'll be back with... Uh, with another segment of the program, when we return, you're listening to Poker Action Line. Pick us up on uh, SoundCloud, a good place to check out the show. You can follow us. You can rate the show. Uh, give us a like or uh, maybe a few comments about the program. We'd love to hear from you. And you can also get us on iTunes or on our website, PokerActionLine.com, as well. We'll be back with more of the show when we return. This is Poker Action Line. Hi, this is Big Dave from PokerActionLineRadio.com. I want to let all avid poker players know about a great new lottery game that was developed by one of our sponsors, Atlantic West Management Group. 
This game is now available worldwide on the Internet. It will be served as Place Your Chips Caribbean and operated on the Internet as an international lottery by Atlantic West. The Texas Hold'em poker-like game is perfectly legal everywhere and presented as a lottery game with tickets available on the Internet. You can win pick six lottery tickets and cash prizes by using your poker playing skills. It's open to lottery players worldwide, and right now this game is in a play-for-free test mode, and you are not obligated to purchase anything. You can get 50,000 free play chips per ticket for the purpose of evaluating the game with no prizes awarded until the game goes live. A lottery customer can purchase a ticket with a unique number that will grant them entry into one of many Texas Hold'em poker tables with a chip stack, and like a lottery game, the prize value will be based on ticket sales. That chip stack will be valid for the remainder of the week as players can access the site as often as they like to try and take the chip lead. At the end of the week, the highest chip stacks will be awarded lottery prizes, and if you lose all your chips, the lottery ticket becomes null and void. As with regular lottery games, you can purchase as many entries as you like. However, each ticket stands on its own merit, and much like the regular lottery, the results of multiple tickets cannot be combined toward a prize. The name of this game is Place Your Chips Caribbean, and you can access a live demonstration of the game right now at www.placeyourchipscaribbean.com. We believe that when it goes live soon, there will be a heavy demand for this game, as most lottery players would much rather have some say in the outcome of their lottery result. Their odds of winning are greatly improved if they're able to utilize their playing skills in order to increase their chances of winning. I hope that you will try the Play for Free demonstration and hope that you will join us when the Play for Real game becomes available. Hi, this is Joe Perry and Steven Tyler of Aerosmith for Red. You know, it's okay to rock and roll and party down. Just don't get in that 2,000-pound bullet when you're done and cocked. And please don't drink and drive. I'm the one that jaded you. A reminder that friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service message brought to you by the Ad Council, U.S. Department of Transportation, National Association of Broadcasters, and RAD. Welcome back to the show. Poker Hall of Famer Linda Johnson, one of our favorites. Yes, she is. She writes something in Card Player. I'm definitely going to be reading it, and this time I brought it to the show to talk about it with Joe. Uh, talking about a situation at the table and kind of giving uh, the readers a chance to uh, put their feet in the shoes of a tournament director and how would you uh, make the floor call on it. All right. Okay, this incident starts with uh, five players left in the tournament, this uh, situation. Uh, Player A is under the gun and raises preflop with pocket kings. Uh, Player B... Well, actually, the next player folds. Then pocket uh, player B, who is on the button, calls. Both blinds fold, so it's heads up going to the flop. Okay. Okay. Flop is uh, ace, ten, nine, rainbow. Uh, player A makes a bet, continuation bet, about half the pot. And player B responds by saying all in and is uh, throws a few chips in the pot. But he does call all in. He, yeah, he says all in. He does all say in. all in. Uh, player A... Uh, pl- uh, thinking player A had said that he was calling, not right. going on. Player over. A still had yet to act, but player B decided Correct. to over- turn his cards over. Right. He turned his cards over because he said all in. And then thinking since uh, player A had made the call, uh, so then they're, they're, they have their cards uh, face up. Now, the problem is he just turns them over real quickly, and the other player at the table, who was not in the hand, quickly puts his hands over the cards. Realizing realizing that the other player had not said call. Thinking he's helping the situation. So player A, 
the player with the uh, pocket king by the pocket king says he only saw one of the cards. He saw the jack. Okay. So now they bring the tournament director over to make a decision on the table. Uh, so player is player A entitled to see both of those cards? Now she says Linda says that she originally had a certain opinion and uh, said she polled 20 different tournament directors regarding how they would make the ruling, and the answers were about 50-50. And I could give you an argument for both of them also, Dave. Okay. So to be honest with you, I could give you an argument for yes, he needs to see both cards, and no, he didn't see it, and someone tried to rectify the situation, even though that person technically should not be helping anybody in the hand. Exactly. Uh, she says her original thinking is, in the interest of tournament integrity and fair play, uh, the player A should not be allowed to see the other exposed cards. But she gave it more thought, she changed her mind, and she said she would allow him to see both cards for the following reason. First of all, player B made a mistake. Uh, he showed his whole cards before the action was completed. And by covering up the exposed cards, the small blind who was not in the hand actually had assisted player B in rectifying his errors. But this violates the one player to a hand concept. So if the small blind did not cover the cards, player A would have seen them. Exactly. So to make matters worse, since player A only saw the jack, and since the board was ace-10-9, player B could have had something like ace, like queen-jack, could have had an open-ended straight draw, and this complicated his decision, even though he did have pocket kings. Uh, if the card was uh, that wasn't exposed was anything other than an ace, uh, he obviously was going to be in the lead. Uh, the ruling in the case would be that player B made a mistake, and even though it wasn't intentional, he should have to pay for that mistake by allowing player A to see his cards. Do you agree with that? I, you know, like I said, I can make an argument for both ways. But after realizing that he made the mistake, uh, you know, I I probably, if I had to lean, and it's not a big lean, but I probably would have allowed the other player to see both his cards because he did this on his own. Yeah. Granted, I know, you know, obviously when you go all in and you're waiting for your opponent to make a call on you, you're not looking to show them both your cards without them having acted already. Right. So he's already uh, incurring a very stiff penalty that his, you know, that his opponent can see exactly where he was at and could assess a numerical percentage value as to where he thought he would be. In this particular case, he's really pretty dominated. So it would have been, in my opinion, an easy fold for him to make, you know. So the only person being hurt mostly here is the guy who accidentally showed his card. Is there any reason to call it a dead hand? No. At this point, because I don't think he's looking for, you know, first of all, why would you show your cards giving your opponent a chance to decide whether... As an underdog, is he a huge underdog? Where in in, in any case, he's never going to make the call. Or you know, if if this had come up something like let's say Ace Ten Nine with the Ten Nine suited, and the other player had a Jack Queen in that suit, you're looking at an open-ended straight. Granted, one of the cards would be one of this gentleman's. You know, uh, not even to, excuse me, not because he would have had the Kings, right? You you'd be looking at a straight draw, a flush draw. You know, you could be saying, you know, at worst I'm a little under fifty percent. Do I want to gamble with two cards to come? I, I don't. I think I would have given him a warning and the gentleman who covered the cards a warning 
again, showing the cards to the opponent, at which point if I'm, I'm thinking if this man is dominated, he just got a gift. Uh, knowing the situation of Kings, if this guy went all in, I can't see how the Kings would have made a call there anyway. Okay. To be honest with you. Uh, she does quote TDA rule number 68 that says exposing cards with action pending may result in a penalty, but not a dead hand. So she completely agrees with you. She also says she's in favor of giving warnings rather than penalties in a case like this where players make unintentional mistakes or they don't know the rules. Uh, what do you think about assessing a penalty to anyone involved in this hand? Uh, I don't think I would have assessed a penalty to anybody in that particular Even hand. Even a small blind? Because Yes, because the small blind was doing it to protect the integrity of the game. I don't think he was doing it to give one person or another a, a, any kind of an advantage. He tried to cover up the hand thinking that he was doing the pedestrian correct thing to do to, hey, this is neither one is supposed to see each other's hands until a decision is made on this bet. Okay, so there was, in my opinion there, there would have been no intentional, you know, uh, motive for that person to have done that to give either one of them uh, an advantage. Okay. okay, you want to know the final decision? Yes, please. Uh, the tournament director refused to let player A see the other exposed card, Okay. the ace, but player A subsequently made the correct decision and folded. Okay. So that's kind of a little bit surprising as well because he's holding those pocket kings. He doesn't know what the other card is, but I guess because he figured the guy flipped his cards over so quickly, they must add something really good. Yeah, if he flipped it over, he's got to put the man on ace-jack. I, I, you know, listen, and again, five players left. If he had a strong chip lead, and even though he may not have been eliminated on that hand, he's got to look at this and go, you know what? Pocket kings, all this man needs is, a, is an ace, and I am very much dominated. He probably would have had less than 5% chance of winning that hand. So, yes, he made the chance. Again, as a tournament director, I would have I would have exposed the cards. Yeah. I would have exposed the cards, said, listen, you know, you need to pay more attention, laid it around, um, you know. But, I, like I said, I can't argue with both of them. Yeah. If he didn't see the two cards, that was his problem for not watching what was not going out there, right. not paying attention, and then again I would have scolded, so to speak, the, the, the gentleman who was trying to do the right thing by covering it up because it was no advantage. He, he was trying to protect, in my case, the integrity of the game, so that that's how I would have based my decision. Real quickly then, as we're closing here, how tough is it for you to walk up to a table, hear what the explanations are, and make a decision on... You know, the thought processes, whether a player was trying to angle shoot, whether a player was uh, honestly made a mistake. If you're just walking up, it's not that easy to make the make the call in it. No. Well, first, you know, listen, as, as a, as a uh, floor person in a tournament or as a tournament director, which because remember, not the tournament director doesn't always make the decisions. There are floor people during the tournaments because depending on how big this thing is, you can't be everywhere at the same place exactly. at the same time. So... You know, as a floor person, that decision, much much like Linda Johnson said where she polled 20 tournament directors and it was 50-50, the same thing could happen with your own staff, okay? As a supervisor, whether it's in a tournament or in a cash game, and you have to make a decision, Dave, any good supervisor is going to walk up to the table. Usually there's a, in a cash game, there's always some sort of argument going on. Yeah. There's always some screaming. You've been in the rooms when you've seen that. I try to calm both parties down. Then 
they all start trying to, you know, if you've been there, you've seen it. Everyone tries to give you their impersonation, uh, exactly. you know, interpretation of what's happening. And people I tell everybody, I'm going to give everybody a chance to speak. I hear my dealer first, okay? And much like, let me tell you, then you hear the explanation and you kind of have to decide, much like a judge does when you get a speeding ticket or you ran a red light and you tell the police officer, I didn't, you know, the judge, I didn't run the red light. And unless you have, like, uh, you know... The wisdom un- of Solomon. Yeah, you understand? <laughs> They're usually going to make the decision based on the police officer's Absolutely. interpretation. And most most supervisors, tournament directors, will base any kind of a decision, if it if it comes to where it's a coin flip based on what their dealer has told them and the information that that person has given them. That's how you have to do it. Well, interesting stuff. We could talk uh, for a long, lot longer oh, on yeah. it, but we're out of time. Uh, we'll be back next week with another show. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Gio, thank you for everything. Uh, Joe, again, uh, thank you for all your help as well. And we'll be back with another show next week. You're listening to Poker Action Line. We hope you join us every week. Pick us up on SoundCloud or on our website at uh, PokerActionLine.com. We'll see you next week. The views and opinions of the hosts, guests, or callers are not necessarily those of the station, its owners, advertisers, or agencies.